Cool, right. um, God's been really speaking to us this morning, and I'm really excited about um, this now, because I know that he might, how much he loves to speak to us through his word by his spirit. Um, I've gone kind of low-tech today. I'm using paper, and I haven't got anything on the screen. Um, so it might be helpful if you've got a Bible, um, you can follow passages along. If, um, is anyone able to hand some out? If you want to stick your hand up, if you haven't got a Bible to hand, there are some at the back. That'd be great. And we're in John chapter 14. And the title for this sermon is, is called To Obey. Throughout this series of Called, which, of which this is the last, we've been seeing how God has always intended to have a people for himself. Out of all creation, a special people that are God's own possession. That's the church. That's us. There are people who are called by God to be his very own. So we're going to um, look primarily today at John chapter 14, verse 23. Just to put that in context, um, here you've got Jesus talking to his closest disciples at what we call the Last Supper. Jesus knows that he is very soon to be betrayed and go to the cross, and he's told his disciples that that's going to happen. That's kind of the, the setting. And in, in what Jesus is saying, he is wanting to comfort his disciples, to tell them that he's going, but he will return um, to them in the future. That's, that's in start of chapter 14, he's talking about that. And he's saying how he will very soon give them the Spirit so they won't be alone when he goes. And here Jesus tells us something about the people that God has called to be his own. Let's read from verse 21 to 24. Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. In this passage, the group of people that are being talked about aren't called believers or Christians. They're called the people who love Jesus. That's, that's who Jesus is talking about in 21, 23, elsewhere. This group of people we see in 21 and 23 are loved by the Father, by God. So we know from throughout the Bible, uh, in various places, that God loves his entire creation. He makes it, he calls it good. He loves it. He looks after it every day. John 3.16 tells us that God loves, uh, it says the world, in, but in there it means the people in the world, and in particular, the people who have actually sinned and rejected God. So God loves all his creation. He loves all the people that he's made, even though we've turned away from him. But there's a love in this passage which is slightly different, and it's something special. It's something more than that love that God has for his creation or in, for people in general. And it's directed at a particular group of people. So Judas, in this passage, knows that Jesus loves the whole world. He's seen throughout Jesus' ministry the way that Jesus has interacted with all people and, and loved everyone. But Jesus has just said in verse 21 that it's only to a special group of people that he will show himself. And Judas goes, uh, I don't understand. When Jesus has spent the last three years showing himself to the world, why is he now going to restrict that to just this group of people? 
And it's because this showing in verse 21 is, is something more than what he's done so far. If you look back to the start of chapter 14, in verse 2, Jesus told his disciples that his, his father has a house with many rooms, and that Jesus will come and he will take his disciples to be there with him. Those rooms in that picture there that Jesus gives are a place of abiding, as like a, a permanent place to stay to make your home forever. And now here in verse 23, Jesus actually uses the same word that he's using, as he used in verse 2. Not that Jesus used not that Jesus used verse numbers, but there you go. Um, so it's translated to a different English word, but it's the same Greek word. Um, so the, root, the word rooms in verse 2 and the word um, home in 23, it's the same word. So now Jesus is saying that he and his father are going to come to his people and make their home there with that group of people. So this is, this is much more than just seeing Jesus, as Jesus has been seen by people as he's been walking around in his ministry on earth. This is the Father and the Son and the Spirit coming to abide with his people. It's, it's, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit turning up at your doorstep with their suitcases saying, right, we're moving in. Eternity starts now. Okay, so who is this special group of people? According to this passage, this is people who love Jesus. This is a group of people that God the Father has a unique, personal, intimate, affectionate, caring, committed love for. And it's only for that group of people, those who love his son. But in this passage, I'm sure you've noticed, Jesus isn't just talking about love. He's also talking about obedience. That's another characteristic of this people. You see this in verse 21 and 23 again. These are people who obey Jesus' commandments, obey Jesus' teaching. And that's where the title of this talk comes from, called to obey. But I think the title's wrong. Um, watch it. If Nick comes and tries to rugby tackle me now, I'll duck and I'll move out of the way. Hopefully I won't get into too much trouble. I think I've got the Bible behind me on this one. But I think that the title called to obey is wrong. We, this... Um, a special group of people, which started with those close disciples and spreads throughout the world and throughout history and includes us, um, we are a people who must obey Jesus. We are a people who will obey Jesus, but we're not called to obey Jesus. And we'll go, I'll go on to explain why I think that. So I guess we could fix the title maybe by adding a question mark, making it called to obey, and then answering no. Uh, so Jesus doesn't call us to obey him. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus shows us who he is, and he calls us to receive him. He calls us to believe in him and to love him. We're not called to obey Jesus. We're called to love Jesus. But obedience will still characterize this people of God. Why? It's because obedience is a byproduct of love for Jesus. Obedience is a byproduct of loving Jesus. Look back with me at verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And in fact, in verse 24, he says, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. 
So here we have two separate things. We've got love for Jesus, and we've got obedience of Jesus. Which means that loving Jesus isn't the same as obeying Jesus. Loving Jesus isn't the same as doing what Jesus wants us to do. So let's look at those two things. What does it mean to love Jesus? So um, six years ago, John Mayer um, released a song called Love is Not a Verb. Does anyone know that? Any John Mayer fans? Or 26 years ago, DC Talk, if you know them, released a song called Love is Not a Verb. Um, yeah, anyway, they spelled it wrong. Um, so, but John Mayer, um, he says in his song, love ain't a thing, love is a verb. But I think he's wrong. Um, I, I think love's not a verb. So what's right about saying that love's not a What's right about saying that love is a verb is that love that's just words and doesn't do anything isn't love. Okay, that, that, that's true. But... I don't think love is a verb. Apart from the fact it technically is a verb. I don't think love is a verb. Um, I think love is a thing that necessarily produces verbs. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 3, Paul says this. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. If you're poor and someone gave you all of their possessions, would you feel that that was a loving thing for them to do? Pretty universally, people would say that giving someone else all your stuff is quite a loving thing to do, right? But Paul says here that it could be that you could do that, give all your stuff, and actually love be be absent from there. So you can have actions that look like love, and they can exist without love. But real love always leads to action. Love and the action that comes from love are distinct things, but they're inseparable. They come as a package. Love and the action. And so it is for our love for Jesus and our obedience to Jesus' commands. They're different things. They're distinct. But real love for Jesus will always, always lead to obedience. Jesus says, again in verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So if loving Jesus isn't the same as doing what he says and living the way he wants, they're distinct things, what does it mean to love Jesus? Here's what I think it means. Loving Jesus means enjoying him as the supreme treasure in your life. Loving Jesus means enjoying him as the supreme treasure in your life. Matthew 13, verse 44, um, Jesus told a very short story. He said this, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man comes along and finds it, he hides it again. Then that man, in his joy, went and sold everything he had and bought that field. End of story. The man found treasure. Why did he go and sell all that he had? Because that treasure that he found was supremely valuable to him. It was more valuable than all the other stuff he had. He went and sold that so that he could gain this treasure that he'd found. So just imagine, what expression would have been on that man's face when he went to eBay to sell all the stuff that he had to get the money to buy the field? 
he's going to be smiling, right? He's excited. Um, it, it says that in his joy he went and sold all he had. The emotion that that man felt was joy, happiness, at selling all his stuff. And that's a picture of what it means to love Jesus and to enjoy him as the supreme treasure of your life. Joy that we feel and express shows us what we consider valuable. It's the things that matter to us that make us happy, really. We rejoice over what we think is great. It's more than what we think is important. It's something more personal than that. Let me illustrate this. So I have a pension. I think having a pension is important. Because I think it's important, each month when I get some money from work, I put some of that money into a pension, rather than having that money straight away to spend. But does my pension bring me joy? No. <laughs> it's important to me, but it's not my treasure. I don't delight in my pension. So I guess the question for us is, is Jesus important to you, just important to you, or is he your treasure? Do you delight in Jesus? Does he make you happy? And just to prove this is in the Bible, Psalm 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. Like it's calling us to delight ourselves in Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. I find this really challenging personally um, to think, actually, does, does Jesus make me happy more than other things in my life? Is, is he the one um, that I, in which I'm searching for that happiness in my life? Does he actually make me happy or do I actually look for other things for my happiness and find greater happiness and joy in other things than Jesus? You see, loving Jesus isn't about doing what he wants. Loving Jesus is about wanting him, desiring him, enjoying him, preferring him, and delighting in him. I wonder if that's where your heart is at this morning. If you find it's not, what do we do? Our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, truly is the most beautiful, enjoyable, satisfying, fun thing that exists in the whole universe. There is nothing better than our God. In his love, in his power, in his wisdom, in his grace, in his knowledge, in his creative abilities, in his faithfulness, in all that God is for us in Christ. Whenever we don't delight in God above all else, I think it's because we don't see him as he truly is. Because he is objectively the best thing. So if we don't feel that, then that's, that's our problem, not his. We're not seeing him right. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says this. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. Why? To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God this is talking about creation. In creation, he said, let there be light. Light. And he's done a similar thing by shining a light into our hearts so that we can see God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So if today Jesus isn't your greatest treasure, 
if he isn't the thing that gives you the most joy, ask God to shine that light into your heart. Maybe that'll be for the first time. Maybe it just needs to happen for the hundredth time um, because you, like me, forget all the time. I need to ask God to do that. So, obedience then. That is what this sermon's supposed to be about. So let's um, get back to that. Where does obedience fit in? I think it works like this. We love Jesus, so we trust Jesus, so we obey Jesus. Let me contrast two people to try and help us think about this. One of these people tragically gets these things the wrong way around and misses out on the joy and peace that God wants them to have. So person one is the legalist. The legalist says, I must love and obey God to earn his love. He may not say it in so many words, but underlying it, that's what he's saying. I must love and obey God to earn his love. The legalist says that we prove our love for God by doing what he wants, and then he'll be pleased with us. The legalist says commandment keeping is our duty, a condition that we must meet if we're to enjoy God's love. But what does this produce in the legalist? What emotions characterize this person? Fear? Guilt? Fear that God might not love me because I haven't done enough. Um, there's, no, there's no peace. There's no joy. There's no smile in this person. He's like just trudging through life, worried that he won't be doing enough to please God. And he's like that because he's getting it wrong. Okay, that's not the message that God wants us to know. The other person is not the legalist, they're the loved person. This person says, God's love for me makes me love him, and so I want to obey him. God's love for me makes me love him, so I want to obey him. When you know that someone loves you, you'll trust them, and you'll naturally do what they ask of you. So imagine, um, one of my children decides it would be a really good idea to play with the kitchen knives. You know, they're shiny, they're interesting, they might be fun to hold, throw around, that kind of thing. So as I see him reach for the meat cleaver, I, as the responsible parent that I am, say, no, you mustn't do that. What happens? A child, knowing that I love them and that I, I have shown myself to act for their good, he trusts me. Instead of doing what seems good to him, um, he trusts what I say and obeys me in that. This is the obedience that comes from knowing that you're loved. It's very different from the obedience that comes from fear. Fear that if I don't do what I'm supposed to, I'll face punishment. This is obedience that comes from a place of peace, resting happily in the secure love that Christ has already won for you. Jesus says in verse 23 that those who love him will obey him. There's a necessary connection between those two things. Like day follows night, obedience follows love. This doesn't mean that those who love Jesus will always obey him in everything and never get it wrong. Right? We will falter, we will fail in our obedience, just like the disciples that Jesus was talking to, like one in a day, are disowning Jesus when he um, is taken to the cross, right? Right there, the, you can see that this isn't about perfection. 
But when you stand back and have a look, you'll see that obedience characterizes the people who love Jesus. And this means that obedience is evidence of our love for Jesus. Obedience for Jesus answers the question, who loves Jesus? Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey my teaching. There may not be perfect obedience, but if there's no obedience, is there love? So John, writing this gospel, can later say in one of his letters, whoever doesn't love God doesn't know God, because God is love. So what are the commands and teachings that Jesus says that we need to obey? In the Old Covenant, God's people were given a long list of commandments, things to do and not do. Jesus came and fulfilled that old law. He lived it perfectly on our behalf. We're not subject to that law now. Christ's obedience to the law is counted as ours in the gospel. That's, that's what's happened. If we're in Christ, his obedience is counted as ours. So this isn't the Ten Commandments that we're called to obey here. Although Jesus says that his commands are actually what underlie all the law anyway. Uh, but if we look back to John 13, 34, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, you must love one another. And again, John 15, verse 12, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So obedience to Jesus looks like loving people in all the forms that that can take. Caring for someone, serving them, giving to them, speaking the truth, inviting, forgiving, loving people. Another thing we see in verse 23 is that God the Father loves those who obey Jesus' teaching. God the Father loves those who obey Jesus' teaching. Does that mean then that God's love is conditional on our obedience? If you flick ahead to John 15, verse 10, Jesus says this, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. This sounds conditional. First you keep the commands, then you'll be loved. But look at the verse before. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, now remain in my love. So what comes first? The love of God, the love of Jesus. And then we remain in our love and obey, right? Before our obedience comes God's love. The Father's love, the Son's love, precede our obedience. So that means they can't be conditional on our obedience. It just doesn't make sense. Does that mean it doesn't matter whether we obey? Can we just accept Jesus as our saviour and then live however we like? By no means. Our obedience really matters. In a number of places, the Bible talks about how we'll be judged by God on our obedience. Let's take a look at one of those. It's in Matthew 25, uh, verse 31. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. 
All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And he goes on to say how it was those actions performed for people um, that he's talking about. It seems on the face of it here that the Son of Man is judging the people based on their obedience. He's saying, look, you, you fed the hungry. You, you cared for the stranger, the sick, the prisoner. Therefore, you're blessed. Come to your reward. But I don't think that's what's happening. That's not the reason why they're welcomed into the kingdom. Because if you look, uh, the king says, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance that was prepared for you since the creation of the world. So again, we have a chronological thing happening here. There was an inheritance that was prepared for these people before the creation of the world. That's before they did anything, right? Before they were born. So, Again, this judgment can't be based on their behavior, even though it's talking about their behavior as the, the thing on which they're being judged. I think if we, um, Ephesians clarifies this a little bit. So Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, For God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Again, he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. It goes on to say, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace we've been saved. And then it goes on in verse 10 to say, We're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So here I think it is putting these things of God loving us um, and our obedience in, in the chronological order and the correct order again. So, Before the creation of the world, God chose a people to be his. And unfailingly, those people come to see how lovely Jesus is. They choose to love him because of who he is. And because they love him, they obey his teaching. But God's love for us comes first. The obedience isn't the basis of our acceptance with God. God's love is the basis but the obedience shows our love for Jesus. God's love is unconditional. His love is a rock-solid fact that we can build on because he loved us while we were still sinners, before we did anything. We, we don't obey to get God's love. We obey because God loved us, causes us to love him, and from that we obey. Because when you know the love of God, you will Trust him and obey him naturally. But if you're not secure in his love, any attempt to obey him will be unnatural and fruitless. Well, it must, must we obey? If, you, if someone asked you that question, as a Christian, do you need to obey Jesus? How could you answer? I think you could say, yes, but not that kind of must. Let me give you a little illustration. Suppose a husband asks his wife, this isn't mine, I've stole this from somewhere. Um, suppose an, a husband asks his wife if he must kiss her goodnight. Her answer is, you must, but not that kind of a must. 
And what she means is this. Unless a spontaneous affection for my person motivates you, your actions are stripped of all value. Must the husband kiss his wife goodnight? Yes, but not that kind of a must. It's a must. It should be an action that comes from love, not just a duty. So if we look at ourselves and we see a lack of obedience to Jesus' command to love others, the problem is a lack of love for Jesus in ourselves. Because I, I could stand here this morning and tell you that you need to do what Jesus says. But do you know what that would achieve? Nothing. Right? And, and sadly, many people in pulpits basically do that. And it doesn't achieve something. It didn't work for the Israelites throughout the Old Testament being told to obey. They couldn't. They were powerless. We're powerless to obey. We can't do it. But Jesus doesn't call us to obey. So don't try and obey. Come back to his love. Come to that stream of love that just keeps going. Come into the stream. Drink. And receive God's love for you. That's the solution to a lack of obedience. It's not trying to obey. It's coming back to his love. Remaining in his love. So in a couple of minutes, we're going to um, be taking communion. And this is a great opportunity to see the love that God has for you in the clearest demonstration that God has made for you. Because in the cross, we see so clearly that we are not lovely. Okay? All that we contribute to the cross was our sin. Sin that is bad enough that it deserves death. But in the cross... We see God's love for us, sending his son, Jesus loving us, coming, willing to come to the cross and bear our sin for us. And the cross is where we see the strongest demonstration of God's love for us. So as we come there today, be warmed in your heart by God's love for you and see that Jesus died for you because God loved you before the creation of the world. And just enjoy Jesus. Let him be your treasure Let him be the one that delights you more than anything else. And from that love, when you remain in that love, when you stay in the brook and stay in the source of that water, from that will come obedience. And your life will be characterized by a life that looks like Jesus' life, a life in following Jesus and doing what he said. And it's exciting because we're not told to go and do. We're told to come and be loved and loved and love Jesus. So let's, let's do that as we take communion when the kids come back in. Um, this morning. Can I just pray for us? Um, Because I think we've got a moment because no one's back yet. Father, thank you um, that before you created the world, uh, you loved us. Thank you that your love is the thing that existed before anything else. You loved your son. You loved your spirit. Your son loved you. And that has existed for all time. And from the overflow of your love for your son... You created the world so that you might have a people who are called to be yours. Thank you that that we have been caught up in that calling. Thank you that we have seen that Jesus is the greatest treasure and we have come to him and made him the treasure of our lives. And Father, if there are any here today um, who don't feel that they are living with Jesus as the treasure of their life, I pray that, that you would correct that in us this morning. Father, I pray you'd help us to see Jesus more clearly that we might love him for who he is, and know that he is better than anything else we can put in this place.
And Father, I pray that from that love would flow obedience, that we might be a people who do good works, who love people radically in a way that is just unexplainable apart from your love for us, a people who are free, who know that they are loved by you, forgiven by you. We have no condemnation for us, and therefore we are free to love others because we don't need to earn your love for us. Thank you that you have set us free. Thank you that you continue to provide for us day by day by your Spirit to shine the light in our hearts so that we see how lovely Jesus is and love him. And I pray that you do that once again today. In Jesus' name, amen.